The plane had pushed back from the gate onto the tarmac and then was grounded. Passengers found themselves enduring three hours of delay, waiting for permission to take off. The flight attendant knew everyone was reaching a breaking point, so she had an idea. She took out empty baskets and passed them to passengers with the instructions, We know you are all tired of waiting and probably feel hungry or thirsty. Put in the basket something you could give away, like a magazine, granola bar, bottle of wine, or a pack of gum. When those baskets had gone through the plane, they were full. She and her fellow attendants started passing the baskets back through the plane with new words of instruction. Now I invite you to reach into the basket and take something you need or would like. In this exercise, the mood shifted from struggle to celebration. People were, who had been grumbling because they didn't, of what they didn't have, all of a sudden recognized they had an abundance to share. Despite their discomfort, they still had something to offer. So their situation really wasn't one of scarcity. And then they had the delight of choosing a present from what came their way. Sometimes, when things seem dire, all of a sudden, we are given a new perspective and that situation is transformed. If we're open to listening for God in our circumstances, God does this all the time. He reframes what we're dealing with so that we can see it from His divine perspective. He knows what we need and most hunger for, not just materially, but spiritually. And he supplies out of an abundance, so much so that we have an overflow to share with others. I like to think that is what happened for the crowd who traveled many miles to follow this rabbi growing in fame in the hills of Galilee 2,000 years ago. The story of the loaves and fishes is the only other story that all four gospel accounts describe other than the resurrection. That means this is very important. The feeding of the 5,000 represented a miracle of great proportion and great provision, telling us more of who Jesus the Messiah was and about his mission. I want to take a look at you with you at our story from John today. And as I do, I invite you to read with a new lens, to enter the story being told by putting yourself in the scene. I invite you to notice the different characters and their experience. We have three different cast of characters who are with Jesus on that hillside that day. There's the crowd, the disciples, and the young boy. Who do you most identify with today? And what is that hunger or need that you bring to Jesus to fill? Well, the crowd knows their need. Here's what it says in our opening verses for today. In chapter 6, verse 1, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. 
In comparing the gospel accounts, we find that that could be a mob. The crowd is coming at Jesus at nightfall. There's the potential for things to get unruly. They're tired and hungry and eager for one of those miracles they heard this rabbi's been known to do elsewhere. Some may be skeptical. Others may be open. Maybe their hearts had been warmed by Jesus' teaching. But many may have wondered if God hears prayers and sees need and can really affect change when life's problems were so great and weighty. They were dealing with Roman oppression, repressive taxes that led to poverty, economic and social injustice, and dangerous talk of revolution. Despite all this, Matthew and Mark's account tell us when Jesus saw them, He was moved with compassion for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. The crowd was hungry, lost, and in need. Am I like the crowd in knowing I'm hungry? Jesus is saying, I know what you need. You think it's material and physical well-being, but I will offer you even greater spiritual food. In verse 35, later on, Jesus says one of his famous seven I am statements, telling his listeners, I am the bread of life. A 20th century French Catholic theologian named Simone Weil is a personal heroine. She had something to say about bread. The danger is not that the soul should doubt whether there is any bread, but that by a lie it should persuade itself that it is not hungry. What she's saying is that the soul may believe there is a God and one who actually offers bread, but we're deceived when we think we don't need it or don't hunger for it. In other words, we can believe God exists, but tune out our hunger pains so that we don't long for what we most need to sustain us. Simone Weil's question makes me ask myself, do I know that I hunger for God? Can I sense that longing? Is there room in my heart to make space for my desire for God? And can I listen to what it's like when I wait for it? If I risk doing so, Scripture brings words of comfort. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or God's reign will be filled or satisfied. Eugene Peterson in the message said it this way, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Well, we find out more about our second group, the disciples, in verses 5 through 10. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. 
The disciples, you see, were realists, but they had limited vision. 200 denarii represented almost seven months' wages and about $5,000 in our money today. In other accounts, like in Luke 9, the disciples seem frustrated, distracted, and irritated. Send them away, they tell Jesus. They like to manage the situation and be in control, but with their leader, Jesus, they often find themselves in circumstances which don't make sense to them. Jesus is inviting them to more and to grow in trust. They don't understand what Jesus is up to, but because of His grace, Jesus uses them anyway. Jesus uses this challenge to test them, disciple, and prepare them. They are the ops team for the execution of the miracle. Notice their assignments. Have 5,000 men plus the women and children sit in green pastures. We're reminded of the good shepherd who provides for his flock. And in other accounts, the disciples also gather them in groups of 50 or 100. The disciples then distribute the blessed food and regather the leftovers. The abundance of this miracle of multiplication ends up filling 12, what in Greek can be translated, traveling baskets. So that means it's enough for each disciple's meal and for their journey ahead. Jesus provides for them and uses all these lessons for their good. Can you relate to the disciples? Their story is a great reminder to those who are like me and like to manage and be in control. God has something far better in mind for us. For the disciples, even with their limited vision, Jesus has compassion, and He uses them to further His mission and to bless others. Maybe today, for you, it's the child that you most identify with. We never know who the hero of the story is going to be. Imagine this large crowd and the disciples searching for someone who has food. This little boy steps forward to, to one of those burly fishermen with Jesus, and in his small hands, he's holding five barley loaves, which is cheap bread, food of the poor, and two small fish. You ask, you wonder if he asked himself, can this little offering help so many? But children are open to the miraculous, to God showing up. This young boy acts heroically and gives all that he has. He reminds me of David and Goliath, who took five stones against a giant. David showed up those soldiers who were afraid, just as this faith and generosity of this young child might have showed up the disciples' lack of imagination for what God could do. Despite the un other unexplainable miracles Jesus had done, something on this scale hadn't been done before. That child offers all that he has for God to use it and transform it into something better than anyone could imagine. And this little boy helps me understand Jesus' invitation for us to be childlike in our faith and trust in Him. The boy's sacrificial gift also points to Jesus, the most important person in the story. Jesus saw their need. He had compassion. He desired to give them fullness and satisfaction, so much so that later in the story, he takes on our sin in his death, and he rises again to give us more than we can manufacture or create. God says, trust me. 
follow me. I will care for you. You matter to me. Your needs, even those in the material, physical realm, matter. So let's look at what Jesus does with this young boy's gift, starting in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. As we could compare different accounts, we notice what he does on that hillside. He took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to them. Sound familiar? That same pattern will take place in the upper room, the night of his betrayal and arrest, before Jesus' sentencing and death. We continue that pattern every Sunday in our communion. We celebrate or give thanks for what those simple gestures meant, his body broken for us, not just for loaves and fishes, but now for spiritual sustenance. Jesus provided that supernatural food. Like Moses with manna, this was a sign of the awaited Messiah, the outcome of his miracles that the people want to make him king. But we see Jesus resists them, just as he did the devil in the wilderness when he was promised a kingdom. Although he could have had an army of 5,000 men whom he just fed that could have fought for him, Jesus went off on his own. He knew he was on a different mission. He was on his way to crucifixion. In this story, our reframe is that God supplies for our needs and provides for us, whether we identify with a crowd, the disciples, or the little boy. When we digest that truth and his full and abundant life, we're invited to join his efforts and feed others with this living bread. We have the opportunity to share what we have so that God might multiply it for His holy purposes. In this season of unsettling news and uncertainty, I want you to imagine right now what heartache you are holding. As you do, I invite you to ask in your heart for God to provide and minister to that need. We may be afraid But when we hold to the truth of Jesus' love and provision at our center and we bring our needs and hunger to Him, He will transform it. We find ourselves moved to be people of generosity. Like those on the airplane, we can move from scarcity to fear to celebration and abundance. We can see God's eternal story in the midst of our human story, knowing how much He loves us, sending Jesus and his journey to the cross for us. It changes everything. May we be filled by God's abundance and live out of that overflow, helping to bring God's kingdom come today. Amen.